Well, today's Bible reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 and going to verse 20. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you might fight the battle well, holding on to, a, to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Okay, quick quiz. I'll show you the movies uh, still and you tell me the quote. So, play it again, Sam. Wrong. The actual quote is, play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. What about Jaws? We're going to need a bigger boat. Oh no, the actual quote is, you're going to need a bigger boat. And what about Forrest Gump? Mum always said life is like a box of chocolates. Actual quote is, Mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. Alright, so those are movie ones, easy to get wrong. But just cover up your Bible if you've got it open. I never normally tell you to do that, but for now, get it out. This one will be easy because you just heard it in the Bible reading. Uh, now I've got this idea for this introduction from a book I can recommend. Um, it's called 1 Timothy in Titus View by Philip Jensen. Anyway, Bible's covered. Uh, you've got uh, to fill in the blank here. This is from verse 16. Timothy chapter 1 verse 16. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense as an example for those who would believe in, in him and receive eternal life. You get the blank? Patience. Jesus Christ, immense patience. It's a bit of a surprise word, isn't it? Because we might have said it's grace or generosity or mercy or something like that. Patience, though, is that how you think of Jesus? as patient with you. In this series from, we're seeing from 1 Timothy how everything we're about as a church and as individuals is to be gospel shaped. So motivated, driven and set the example by Jesus and knowing the good news of salvation through him. And today we're thinking about how part of that gospel message that shapes us is that Jesus is immensely patient. Patient, not an aspect I've really thought about before the gospel. 
So just a reminder of where we're up to, Paul has given Timothy the tough but loving task of shutting certain people up because they've drifted away from the gospel. Some leaders in the Ephesian church have taken a wrong turn and have been wasting their time going down rabbit holes of waffle that produce no good fruit. And this has caused them to use the law in a wrong way teaching that you got to do a bunch of stuff, you got to obey the rules in order to be in right relationship with God. And in response, Paul now offers up himself as a worked example, as a kind of compare and contrast. Paul says, look at those false teachers prattling on, full of hot air, and look at me, a completely changed man, all glory to God. So here's where we're heading today. Uh, first, testing patience, then shaping patience, displaying patience, and fighting patiently. Testing patience, shaping patience, displaying patience, fighting patiently. So first, testing patience. Paul's thankful because knowing how much he tested God's patience, he's now got a keen sense of the mercy and the grace that he's been shown. So verses 12 to 14 again. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So the false teachers have been all about what they do and that means they think God is really obliged to look favourably on them. But what does Paul say that he brings to the table? And what about God? What does God bring to the table? So first Paul, what does Paul bring to the table? Well, verse 13, he was a blasphemer. So Paul was a top, devout Jew, a top teacher of the law. He thought he was honouring God, but still he recognises that he was a blasphemer because he rejected God the Son, Jesus. Jesus, who's the perfect image of God the Father. So not imaging that he was a lot like God, but perfect image in that he is God. So rejecting Jesus is, therefore, blasphemy. That's the heart of the matter for where any of us stands with God. How do you respond to Jesus? Do you accept him, trusting, believing and relying on him? Or are you opposing him? There is no middle ground. So Paul was a blasphemer. He was also a persecutor and a violent man. And I'll let Paul describe this in his own words. This is from Acts 26. Paul says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them 
that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. <laughs> what else did Paul bring to the table? Well, verse 13, he acted in ignorance and unbelief. And Paul has shown mercy because it was, as far as he knew, acting in God's best interests. But let's not soften it and miss Paul's point. It's not that it's Paul's point is not that he deserved to be let off the hook, but that he was truly deserving of condemnation. Blasphemy, persecution, violence, and ignorance and unbelief. That's what Paul was bringing to God when he met the risen Jesus. So what did Jesus bring to Paul in return? Well, verse 12, strength. Strength to carry out his new mission of being entrusted with the gospel. Strength to stick to the original gospel message and not give up. God considered him trustworthy and so gave him this job of taking the gospel to the nations. God could see that the character of Paul, misdirected and misused as it was, and he could see that here was a man he could trust to get the job done. Now, our sinfulness can hijack even our best characteristics, but Paul's story shows us that God, in his patience and power, can wrestle back even the worst of who we are and turn us to good for his glory. So God has given Paul strength, trust, mercy and verse 14 grace the grace of our lord was poured out on me abundantly the word abundantly there in verse 14 kind of under translate what paul's saying paul's made up a word by sticking hyper before it so you could translate it as super abundantly in other words paul was completely bowled over dumped in the sand of humility by an enormous wave Grace, grace, God's undeserved mercy and favour. Grace is not getting what we do deserve and being given for free what we definitely don't deserve. And as if that's not enough, Paul is also given everything he needs to live for Jesus now. Faith and love that are in Christ. God is fully, sorry, Paul is fully equipped by God for the life that God has given him. So we see Paul is using the example of his own life to say to those false teachers and to the distractors, it's not about what you do for God. Sticking to the gospel, sticking with Jesus is all about trusting in what he has done for you. Paul says, how is all about the law? And I had nothing but shame to bring to the table. God does it all. And that's so easy for us to forget, but we must never forget it. So that's why we usually start our service at Trinity Church Woolcroft with a song about grace. We're open with grace before we reckon we've cozied up to God enough for him to accept our praise. So that rather we're acknowledging that we can only approach him at all because of what he has done for us. That's why we have run with a model of five M's, magnification, mission, maturity, membership, and ministry. So they just help us keep on track with the stuff that we do that it um, matches up with God's purposes. But they all sit under, they're all in response to what God has first done for us.
in response to grace. Now I've got to ask, do you know this grace for yourself? Have you experienced it? Because it's easy to be around Christian things and Christian people to be, I don't know, positively disposed to the gospel, but to never actually get around to trusting in Jesus and relying on him, giving up your life to him and knowing his grace. If you've never done that, why not today? And if the why not is because you need to look into God and Jesus more, that's fair enough. Come along to our Christianity Explored course with all your questions and objections and just see how you go. No pressure. But maybe you have been bowled over by God's grace, but you're finding it a struggle at the moment to keep going. And you might be struggling to have the patience to endure with what sticking with Jesus, sticking to the gospel entails. Or perhaps in your more honest moments, you'd want to say to me, Colin, if you only knew what I was really like, the things I've done, you wouldn't have any patience for me. You, you wouldn't want me anything to do with me. We'll have a look at who God chose to take Jesus to the nations. Have a look at the patience of God for a man who didn't even neglect Jesus. He actively opposed Jesus and Christians. Now, if God had that patience for the Apostle Paul, if he could make such a change in Paul, we can know for sure that he can do the same for us and more. Jesus gave Paul the strength for his fight. Ask him for his strength for your fight. Well, that's Paul's story of testing God's patience. And now he reminds us of the good news gospel message that is shaping patience. Our next heading, shaping patience. Are you any good at memorising words? Uh, here's some I can never forget. Oh, that that's this too, too solid flesh would melt thaw and resolve itself into a dew, or that the everlasting had not set his mantle against self-slaughter. Well, that's from Hamlet. Sorry about my bad acting. Um, I had to memorise that for my English lit exam when I was 17, and I've never had a use for it since. But there it is, etched in my long-term memory. But floating around in the early church were some much more useful words, some trustworthy sayings, kind of mini creeds or gospel summaries that you could memorise and, and, and word for word, keep in your head. And here in verse 15, Paul brings us to the first of, he's got five of these in his pastoral epistles, uh, 1 Timothy 2, Timothy and Titus. So verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I, I am the worst. Just nine words, can you remember them? Let's try it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save. Very good. So back to verse 15. He says this is a trustworthy saying. <laughs> you can hang your hat on it. So there's a great preacher I listen to, Dick Lucas from London. Uh, he said, these days... 
people treat the truth like it's beauty in the eye of the beholder. Say truth is in the eye of the beholder. But Paul isn't saying that this saying is a theory or a nice idea that's true for you, but maybe not for someone else. Now the claim is that this is objectively true, a real fact, one that deserves full acceptance. So the sense here isn't just that the whole message is true, but that this should be accepted by the full audience, as in it's a message universally applicable to everyone, and everyone needs to hear it. And the message at the heart of the gospel, what's our nine words? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. The heart of the gospel message is rescue. And it's important to remember that because the idea that we need saving, need rescuing from our sin, it's offensive. It's hard to swallow. And so people come up with alternative reasons for why Jesus came. But it's clear Jesus didn't come as a good example, although he was that. Jesus didn't come into the world to, just to sympathise with us, just to teach us, just to show us who God is, although he did do all of those things. Jesus didn't come primarily to heal the sick, feed the poor and cast out evil spirits, although those were important parts of his ministry. Now those things, good things, answer a different question. What did Jesus do whilst he was here? Uh, and they're all part of the gospel. But why did Jesus come into the world? To save sinners. But save us from what? Well, at the end of Matthew 25, Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom he's bringing in, tells the parable of the ten virgins. There's five foolish ones who end up locked outside of the wedding, the door shut. And 25 verse 11 says this, Later the others came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Then in the next parable, the parable of the five bags of gold, what happens to the unfaithful servant who doesn't get the approval of the master, the master who represents God? Well, verse 30 Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you get the picture? We need saving from God's disapproval. We need rescue from the punishment that we deserve for the way we've treated him and treated other people. Do you now know how much in need of rescue you are? I mean, look at this picture. We tend to think, we're, we're not perfect, but at best we might need the RIA if, um, if our failures catch up with us. But in reality, it's much more like this. We're in big trouble and we need rescue. And we only don't get it because of God's patience with us. Paul says, verse 15, he's the worst example of a sinner. Why? Because he blasphemed and persecuted Christ. Jesus is the issue. Our standing before God, whether or not we have his approval, 
depends on whether you trust and believe in Jesus or reject him. Jesus came so that through his life, his suffering, his death and resurrection, he could pay the price for our sin so that we do not have to suffer our just deserts. So that God can be both just and fair in punishing our sin appropriately, but also be just and fair in forgiving us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is good news. It's quite offensive news, yes, that we're sinners. But it's news of a judgment where the judge himself has come into the world to take on the punishment that we deserve. And it's such a beautiful truth that we don't need to be apologetic about sharing it. If it wasn't true, if it wasn't a trustworthy saying, if it was just an analogy or just another worldview, then sure, we might have to worry if it was helpful to our particular culture, if it fitted in. But it is true. And it's applicable to everyone from everywhere. It's the news everyone most needs to hear. And the fact that this trustworthy saying is true shapes what we're about as a church. We're gospel-shaped. So we're not a health spa for sprucing up people's lives. We're not a pleasure cruiser in it to just sort of lay back and look after ourselves and feel good about ourselves. We're not a social club. We're not a concert venue. We're not a soup kitchen. No, we're more like a rescue boat. A rescue boat saving people with the gospel. And, I don't know, a boat with a, a training camp for flooding us with grace. Or maybe a rescue boat with cool water skis at the back for getting soaked in grace. Anyway, back to the Paul. The more Paul remembers his past, the more he must have thought, I'm precisely the last person I would have chosen if I was God. I mean, why did he choose me? And his conclusion? Well, Paul concludes that he was saved for Displaying patience. Uh, next heading, displaying patience. Verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul reckons he's like God's trophy cabinet. An encouragement to anyone who looks on to see just how patient God can be. Just how much he can rescue and change anyone. I mean, anyone, anyone who is looking at Paul can't be left thinking, well, I'm too far gone. I'm beyond rescue. The fact that Paul was chosen shows just how willing and able God is to forgive anyone. Just how patient God is. In fact, if you read much of the Old Testament history of God's relationship with humanity, well, you don't have to read for very long before you find yourself thinking, God, if I was God, I'd have given up on this lot ages ago. They never learn. I mean, every time God is generous, forgiving, gives them more than they ever even needed, 
they just throw it back in his face, reject him, and go off after some inferior god. And just think, it's a measure of the patience of God that his very plan to save us, his way of rescuing us, was to come into the world in person, knowing that we would betray and reject and kill him. And right now, having fulfilled that plan, he's still showing his patience, allowing this world to continue on, sinful and rebellious as we are, so that many more may be saved before Jesus returns by throwing their lot in with him. And our job as a church and as individuals is to be ready, be ready to share our story of God's patience with us. Nobody can take away your story. Our job is to be able to ready to share, share that story and to keep being changed by Christ's work at it, in us, in his strength, so that we can be an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Our job is, like Timothy, to keep fighting patiently. Our final heading. Keep fighting patiently. So we've seen Paul's life is a worked example and an inspiration for Timothy as he steadfastly sticks to the gospel. So verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command, this command to silence the false teachers and the wafflers. I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well holding on to the faith and good a good conscience which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Now we don't know what these prophecies about Timothy were exactly but they were another source of encouragement for Timothy to keep fighting for the gospel. Notice it's not uh, going to be a bit of a to-do for the gospel, not minor disagreements for the gospel. It's going to be fighting a battle. Paul's life helps Timothy to see what he's fighting for. Because Timothy can compare Paul's life with the Paul's life, gospel-filled life, with the fruitless emptiness of the false teacher's life without it. I mean, just look at the fruit in Paul's life. He's such a proud man, he's now completely humble. He's thankful. I mean, even the faith and love he has, he credits Jesus with. And he points to himself only so that we may see and glorify Jesus. He turns it all to God's glory, like it does in verse 17. Contrast that with the fruit of those who have drifted, who've turned away from the gospel. Verse 19, the gospel which some have rejected and so suffered shipwreck with regards to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be brought, taught not to blaspheme. Uh, verse 20 there, Paul's showing the patience that God has had, has had for him. He's, so he's handing these two over. Um, he's not given up on them. He's expelled them so that they might come to their senses to see the error of the ways and turn back to Jesus. Patience. And to finish, patience. 
It's not spectacular, is it? Patience. It's not action-packed. But holding out the gospel to people can be tough. Waiting for people to respond. That's hard work. It often takes a long time. It needs patience. Being church together can take a lot of patience. So we can be tempted, like some in Timothy's churches, to try something else a bit easier. You know, just to tweak things that are a bit smoother sailing. Or just distract ourselves from our mission and just satisfy us with what a great church we are, with other things. But real change, real power, real life is found as people hear the gospel, believe it, and put their trust in Jesus. If you don't believe me, just look at Paul's life story. So let's be shaped by the gospel of God's patience for us. Let's tell people the good news of his patience revealed in Jesus, even to those who seem, like Paul, the least likely to accept it. Let's have the patience to keep insisting on the gospel, denying ourselves, being humble and thankful, being super abundantly dumped with grace. Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen.